Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Real guys do blue marlin. It's hotter than a snake's ass. And happy El Nino. How to bond with New Yorkers. And Captain Norm walks you through a strategic process on how to catch a blue marlin right off the coast of South Florida. All this week on The Real Guy Podcast. Clear the airwaves. The Lunker Dog is on the air. Are you ready? This is The Real Guy Podcast. So Norman... Jeff. It's fucking hotter than a, than a snake's ass. It's hotter than a snake's ass. <laughs> so, where'd you get that from? I made it up several years ago. That's original style? That's original style. That's original content right there. Captain Norm. I'm stealing it? Yeah. That's the first thing I'm going to say when I pick up my people tomorrow. <laughs> We're going to freaking, I'm going to show them all the bait in the well, and I'm going to show them all the rigs, and I'm going to talk about, you know, don't pull on it when the fish jumps and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to turn around and look at him square. I'm going to say, it's hotter than a snake's ass out here. (laughs) Yeah, man. I'll tell you what. It's definitely definitely summertime, and we're into the thick of it. Well, I like it. I like this whole El Nino thing we're going through. Yeah? Well, I've been busy all through June into the first part of July. It's hotter than a snake's ass out there. Yeah. I might name the episode. It's hotter than a snake's ass out there. It is. So the the days that it's the days that it's overcast and rainy. Oh man, it's nice. Right. It's not, well, it depends on when the rain comes through. If it comes through early, and then you have to go back out in that, then it becomes a steamer. Right. Okay. Or as they say up in New England, it becomes a steamer. It's a steamer. Fucking <laughs> squeeze. God damn! Is this freaking hot out here? Oh, Jesus it, Christ! The, and they'll be complaining about that soon. Oh yeah. They'll be. It'll get like nine. Well, they don't come out here when. The, the the northerners don't come down here in the summertime when it's super hot. Well, then they like to obsess over hot weather. Like it gets ninety up there. Oh, then, they're and, wrecked. All right, and then all the all the all the news stations are like, oh, yeah. it's fucking wicked hot. Yeah, it's goddamn hot up here. <laughs> and then we're going through a heat wave. We haven't had a heat wave like this in twenty years. How do they go through a heat wave every every summer? Well, they do. They have a they have a heat wave every summer, and of course, it makes the news and everything. And like their heat waves are our, you know, just our typical weather. Right. You know, only they don't get the rain the way we get the rain. They get their rain in, uh, in the in 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 the uh, in the fall. Now, so the the heat wave thing that's more media bullshit. Nah, it's all bullshit. It's just something for them to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. Just, well, they got to come up with some content. Dude, they got. <laughs> And they come up with that. Yeah, the, right. Exactly. Heat waves. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, they can talk about the smoke that's coming in from forest fires. Yeah. Well, you know, the smoke from Canada, you know, that, that that was a real thing, though. I mean, that there was a lot of people that got messed up over that. And the people from Los Angeles, the old timers from Los Angeles are going, what are you talking about? <laughs> what do you mean got messed up? Who got messed up? Oh, all those New Yorkers up there, they were all complaining. They come ro- roaring down here. I think that's one of the reasons... Why our uh, why our business in June was so good is because they were just trying to get away from the smoke. 
<laughs> Your typical New Yorker. Yeah. Like, like the one from the city that was yeah, complaining. Yeah. Oh, all of them were. Yeah, they all were. Well, just, that affected everybody up there. I'm just saying, New Yorkers complain a lot. Well, that's lot what of, they do best. Right. <laughs> and then they want to tell you how great it is and back in New York. Meanwhile, they're coming down here. Right. And by the way, don't tell anybody down here that you're from New York. Nobody is impressed. If you're from New York, we're going to figure it out pretty quick. <laughs> how come people from New York and Boston, too, Massachusetts? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Massachusetts. When they found out that... Um, you know somebody from New York or whatever. Why do they ask you? It's like, yeah, like, dude, do you know Vinny? <laughs> right? You're like looking at him. You're like, what do you mean do I know Vinny? Of course I know Vinny. Everybody, Who doesn't know Vinny? Right, everybody knows a Vinny or a Joe or whatever yeah. it might be. But people from New York or from, from Massachusetts, New England, they're yeah. into that. Like, do you know who I know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that kind of like... And, and well, it's, it's not just that. You know, they, they start talking about streets and neighborhoods and that kind of thing. So if you if you connect with them on on a geographical basis somewhere in the in the city, then they're going to start dropping names. Right. Northerners are great at name dropping. Now is that just so like on the Busaka level? <laughs> now is that just a form of communication, like small talk? It's bonding. Yeah, right. It's bonding. It's a, it's it's a way to bond. Yeah. All right. Now I had some Asians on the boat the other day. Did you? They're the Did op- they want to eat the tarpon? No, no. They were <clears throat> they were you know. They were real Asians. Well, they're Asians, and they were into snook fishing and everything. Yeah. But the only reason I even brought that up is because they didn't say two words. There's <laughs> there's three of them on the boat for five hours. Really? One of the kids was uh, somewhat conversational. Or okay, okay. And there was four of them. Yeah. And you can take extra Asians. Like, you can't take extra rednecks. The guy shows up. There's one guy who's going to be 250 for oh, sure. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. the Asians, you really don't no, have to No, they're all like 85 that. pounds wet. <laughs> right. Yeah. So there was four of them. And I'm like, oh, man, four people. And then it wasn't too bad because, you know, they were Asians. And, yeah. but, but not a lot of conversation. Not a lot of small talk. No, no. Some, the, the, I don't know what it is. You know, the funny part is, is that, you know, they are such, they're such good people. I mean, by and large, Asians are really, really good people. But don't get them starting to joke with you because they're, 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 uh, their sense of humor is whacked. Okay? I mean, I'm standing on the dock and I got my dog. And, um, and, and uh, the bounty pulls in next to me. Okay? And uh, Dave uh, on, 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 the, on, the, uh, on SoFlo Sport Fishing. And he's got some Asians. And this one woman, she looks at my dog and she goes... That'd be good in soup. <laughs> Come on, dude. Oh, and I mean, I'm like, are you kidding me? And she's laughing. And I'm like, she goes, oh, no, I'm serious. I said, yeah, I don't think you are. <laughs> so, so she was she was trying to, yeah, she was ha- trying have to have a sense of humor? She was trying to have a sense of humor, but it really didn't work. You know, my dog's looking at me like, what the fuck? Well, she was trying. <laughs> She was trying to connect with me on, on, on that kind of a level, but it just didn't work. I well, took my dog and walked up the dock. Well, the Asians are no different than us. What happens is, is the four Asians over there that usually don't say shit, yeah. they're like prepping. And this is probably what happened with this lady. They're like prepping and they're like, listen, practice a little sarcasm, a little small talk with these American people. Yeah. Because they're into that shit. So, yeah. that's, so I think that's the dynamic of it. They're like trying to conform and speak like Americans and, well, and that small talk and everything. And it's and hard. They do. It's hard. And they do. And that's why. I, and and that, But you know something that they make the effort is what impresses me most about the Asians. I mean, they come to this country and they do. They try to assimilate. They try to become, you know, they try to meld in with our. Uh, and I learned this the hard way. 
Um, I remember I was running a crew boat offshore in the Gulf of Mexico several years ago, and we're in the shipyard. We had to have some work done on the gyros. So they, uh, so the company sends this guy, and he walks up the deck, and I see him coming, and I said to the other captain that's on the boat, I said, oh, boy, here we go. We're not going to be able to talk to this guy. His name is going to be, you know, Fong Duck Tai or something like that, and this is going to be a nightmare. The guy walks up in the wheel of the house, and he goes, hi, my name is Steve. <laughs> Right, and it hit you funny because right, right. that's what you get for pre-thinking. Yeah, you can't. yeah exactly. No, you can't. Yeah, they and and they do, and but they're I, I like them. There's some damn good fishermen. Oh yeah, well they come by it honestly. Well, I mean, think I think I mean I just know out of the whole fishing crowd, right? Yeah, <clears throat> at least down here in South Florida, Asians are probably the minority of the minorities. We don't see a whole lot of Asians down yeah. here. So out of the number of great fishermen compared to the small amount of Asians, it's pretty phenomenal. I mean, literally, I get these guys to come on the boat. They can cast. They bring their plugs. They're into their gear. They're practiced. Oh, they're big gear heads. Yeah, big gear heads, practiced, you know, like really into it. And I don't know. They just seem to be really good. The dude down in the Keys, Sam... One of the best fly freshmen down there. Yeah. Asian kid. And when he showed up to uh, LonkerCon 10 years back, um, it was awesome to meet him, to see him, to get him to hang out with the, mm-hmm. the crowd. But anyway, phenomenal fishermen. And they're buying up merits. They're buying merits. They're buying merits. We went through, in 2020, they start, I don't know what happened, but there was a bunch of uh, older, like 43 and 46 merits. And we shipped a bunch of them over to uh, Japan. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. There's some serious marlin fishermen in Japan. Seri- yeah. And there's some serious um, boat enthusiasts. Yeah. Like big time. Oh, yeah. Big time. Big time. Big you, know, time. you know, my dad built, um, I think he built eight boats mm-hmm. in Fukushima. Really? Yeah. Place Before the place blew up. Yeah. Fukushima. Yeah, wow. In a place called Okay Fuck You City. <laughs> I'm just telling you where it was. What was it called? <laughs> okay, fuck you, city. Okay, fuck you, city. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, they had a bit, they had a big commercial shipbuilding plant there. Yeah. And the guy that owned the shipbuilding plant in about half of Japan, I think. Yeah. He got friendly with my old man. He's like, "No, we got we got to make some of these over in Japan." Yeah. <clears throat> anyway, they made uh, they made eight or nine boats out of aluminum over there between 42 and 56 feet, mm-hmm. all sport mm-hmm. fishes. Yeah. And um, neat, yeah, it was neat. It That's was a really cool, cool thing, and I got to be very familiar with the Japanese fishermen, yeah, who love to catch blue marlin. Yeah, so do I. Did you know there's like a really good fishery between Japan and Korea? No, right out on the two peninsulas, like down there on the DMZ, and it is good. What's <laughs> the DMZ? Oh, yeah, demilitarized zone. <laughs> well, yeah, all I know is. There's some serious bill fishing going on down there. Really? And those Japanese guys are into it. You know, I got to tell you something. I hit up um, I hit up Marlin Magazine, and I sent them some pictures of that fish we caught. Well, we, we'll talk about that in a minute. But I hit them up, and I said, hey, I said, you know, it's pretty easy to, uh, it's pretty easy to always cover uh, great destinations and great fishing and great crews. Uh, where there's, you know, plenty of big blue marlins being caught like the Azores and St. Thomas and, 
you know, Punta Cana and all these other places. Korea, yeah, Japan. But I and I told him, I said, well, but, well, what about what about the places that they're not so plentiful? You know, there's stories there too. There you is, know, and there's guys that are trying to catch them in their backyards there too. Right. You know, and there's stories there. Well, first of all. Since we're on the Blue Marlin thing, congratulations. Mm. Thank you. How big you reckon that fish was you caught the other day? Uh, that fish was, no, that fish was 225, 250 all day long. See, I was thinking he was a little bigger than that. Yeah, wait, you know, I, I'm going to say he was 250. I, th- I think that's a good, that's that's pretty much a good conservative uh, estimate of what that fish was. I think that was conservative. Yeah. Uh, for the fish that we catch out here, the majority of them are smaller than that, put it that way. Yeah. And, yeah. um. So congratulations on getting a blue marlin out here. Thanks. But, but it's funny because I congratulate Norm about getting the blue marlin, but this was not a mistake. No, it wasn't. This is something that Norm put in his head a couple, three years ago. Yeah. He came to me. He says, Jeff, he goes, what do you think about getting them out here? And I says, you, you know, every, we used to get them, you know, we were kids and all that kind of stuff. Right. And then we strategized on yeah. the whole blue marlin thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was 10 years removed for me. Yeah. I had the Envy and the Zen Dog, and we mm-hmm. caught a few blue marlin out there. But it was 10 years removed. Yeah. So Norm comes to me, and he's like, dude, I want to do it. So him and I go out. Uh, him, myself, John Tedder. John Tedder, TJ Ralph. Yeah, we went out and mm-hmm. uh, put in a session. You and me. Yeah. Norm and I went in, put in a session. Right. We actually saw a couple, yeah. cu- a couple of blue marlin that day, yep. but none in our spread. Right. Then we went out another time and got skunked. Then Norman mm-hmm. went out and lost a nice one. Yep. I had one with a client, and we jumped one off. It was a small fish, probably buck and a quarter tops. Right. And then Norman goes with the client the other day and bangs one. Well, what happened was is I had a client come to me, I don't know, a couple months back. And uh, he said, I want to catch a big mahi. And you think we might be able to do it in June? And I was like, Maybe. Uh, if we do, it'll be just the beginning of the run. Uh, and there's a lot of small fish usually in the beginning of the run. And, um, so, uh, he books two days, two, six hours back to back. And so we go out there and we did a lot of running and gunning and, uh, we, uh, you know, would, and, and everything we, we had most of what we were looking for out there in terms of. You know, conditions, uh, we had big weed patches, and it was totally fishable, but there was just no life on them. And we, we, we eventually worked our way out to the 49 line, which is way offshore. It's probably 16 miles offshore. Right, and the 49 line, just for the audience, what do you say, it's about 1,400 feet deep? No, well, it was 1,100 feet. 1,100, okay. Yeah, 1,100 feet. And we were down, you know, we were in the Hollywood Hills, that same area that you and I uh, go to, okay? And so, at any rate... Uh, and just just on the eastern side of the Hollywood Hills, because most of the Hollywood Hills is in deep water. So we get out there, and I'm just like, you know, it's about eleven o'clock in the morning, and I, I and and my mate who's just a, uh, who, I had a mate with me, and my mate was just like, oh, there's another line out there, there's another. I'm like, you know what? I could steam to Bimini, and I think it we'd we'd run into the same thing. They're just not here, and so I turned around. And I put the autopilot on Port Everglades and pushed the button. And I turned around and the right long was weeded. I said, clear the right long. It's got weeds on it. He brought it in. He cleared it. 
and sent it back. And as soon as that ballyhoo got right behind the teaser, which is where I told him to put it, uh, he says, hey, I just got picked up. And he came tight, and the fish came out of the water. And all of a sudden, it was just like this calm that came over me. And I said, just like this with this inflection, I said, so that's a blue marlin. <laughs> they're, they're, they're very matter of fact, yeah. And uh, the fish tore, the, tore up the whole ocean and running and jumping and doing what blue marlins do best. And then we fought them to a standstill in the bow, and we couldn't budge them. And so then I started turning and burning on the fish and trying to change the angles, and it pissed them off. And every time I did that, he'd, he'd uncork a run, and eventually those runs got shorter and shorter and shorter until we got the leader and got, got a good release on him. Nice. Yeah. Now, now, what what tackle did you get him? Uh, the fight was an hour and a half, uh, an hour and fifty minutes, five zero, hour and fifty minutes on thirty pound. Thirty pound. Right. Yeah, and we had hundred pound floral le- uh, fluorocarbon leader, and uh, it was a you know, ballyhoo with an islander. You know, just one of the most common ways to catch a blue marlin there is. That seems to be yeah. that seems to be the uh, the number one lure out here in front of Fort Lauderdale. I'd say about yeah. half of all the blue marlin that I've ever caught out there yeah. were on an islander yep. with a ballyhoo in it. Yep. And <clears throat> talk about your teaser because very... The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. I'll troll to, to I'm blue in the face out there and mm-hmm. not raise a marlin mm-hmm. until I put a decent teaser out. What was your teaser like? Because it seems to be the ticket. Well, uh, I, I had, a, uh, I had a, uh, a chain of Moldcraft, pink Moldcraft, squids the go-tos the go-tos you know and and the small ones not the big ones the small ones because for whatever the reason that it seems to me anyway like uh every fish that we raise here and every fish that comes into the spread comes in on something that's smaller and we might put a medium-sized ballyhoo out there with with a with a medium-sized islander but it seems like all the everything that i've ever had a bite on was a, a medium or a small bait right um but the difference is we fish heavy leaders because you know you can go out there and pull dinks and you know uh, bonita strips on 50 pound fluoro the way we do for my mice and you know uh when the man shows up that's not that's not what you want to get him on right so you want to get him on something heavier and that was you know that's that's uh so when when this guy told me he wanted to catch a big mahi, the best way I know besides live baiting uh, to catch a big mahi is to go fishing for blue marlin. Right, put out a marlin spread. <laughs> put out a marlin spread the same way we do in the Bahamas. Right. You know, right. Uh, and and basically that's that's exactly what I did. And so you get your molecraft small squid daisy chain. Yeah. And you got two of them out, one on each side. Just one. Just one. Just one. Yeah, just one. And then on the other side, I've got a big chugger. Up, up close on the flat. Okay. Okay. So uh, I fish a, a big moise uh, on the flat on fifty, and uh, then I had the uh, then I had uh, the two thirties and the riggers right. with ballyhoos. And it was dead calm out there, right? Flat ass calm. So what was your yeah. speed like? 
Oh, I like to I like to pull. Well, it depends on if you're going into the current. If I'm going into the current, we're only making like four four point nine five knots uh, into the current. Um, but you know, going the other way with the current, you know, we're we're seven eight nine <laughs> knots. You know, uh, so you kind of have to you have to you know adjust it. Right. Okay. Um, but uh, we were heading for Port Everglades, so it was kind of like we were splitting the current. So we were really doing about six and a half knots. Gotcha. Um, really, on my boat, it's not so much about the speed, but it's about uh, the um, uh, the sound of the boat. And it seems like this boat raises fish really well at about 1,000 to 1,100 RPMs. That seems to be it. Yeah, it <laughs> seems like that's that's the cadence that they like to hear. That's so weird. Yeah. And it came right up on the right flat. I don't know what it is. Every every billfish that that uh, that we raise trolling seems to come in on the flats with this boat. Yeah, and, well, I think I think that's to me, ninety percent of the bite is identical for whatever reason between here and Bimini. Mm. Fish comes up on the teaser, mm -hmm. shows himself for a brief second, yep. gives the gives the flat maybe a, you know one swipe. And then he'll usually drop back on the rigger, and yeah. then he pops out, and you yeah. get him. Right. But it seems to be kind of like the same thing. But it's amazing how many times you go out there um, looking for tunas and mahis. Mm -hmm. You don't have a teaser out, yeah, and you don't see them. And mile. you don't see them. Right. Yeah. And then you do the same exact thing almost yep. with a couple of decent teasers, and up they come. Right. So how many fish are we running over? Or not we. As a whole. How many fleet. fish is the average dolphin guy running over every time they go? Out they there? don't know, you know. They 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 don't know. It's it, it, and that's the thing, you know. And we've said this a zillion times. If if we stop fishing for bycatch, okay, and pulling small baits and lures and leaders, and we've we fished, you know, the way we fish in the Bahamas, we would probably catch more blue marlin here probably yeah it's a proven fact yeah you just proved yeah. it we just proved it. whatever you want to say right dude six trips three out mm -hmm. of the six trips you see marlin two out of the six trips you get a hook in one one out of the six trips yeah. you get you one to the boat and these are half days norm yeah no these were this was these were all six hour trips right no that's that's for sure and you know the funny part was is when we hooked this fish like i said it was 11 o'clock and then you know i'm watching the watch because I got to go to Miami and be in Miami at, you know, six o'clock, which means I really have to be there about five. And in order for that to happen, I got to leave at 345. Okay. And I'm still, you know, I'm still 16 miles offshore and we're fighting a blue marlin on 30 pound. And I'm thinking to myself, man, this could go on for hours. So I start making phone calls. I was surprised they even had cell phone service. I start making phone calls. Hey, can you take my trip? I'm hooked up out here. Okay, and I can't get anybody to do it. So I'm thinking to myself, man, we got to catch this fish quick because I'm going to lose my job. And, uh, and I mean, you know, they, these fish can fight for hours on 30 pounds. Right. You know, a fish, especially a fish that size. Right. You know. Yeah, they're on their gun there. We were, well, you know, I mean, a lot of crews, I, I know a lot of guys that fish 30 pound religiously. And uh, they, they get them, you know, they get them a lot. You know, one thing that we did on this fish 
uh, is we put the hammer to him. I mean, the, we put that reel in the sunset position. Once he was down and doing us down and dirty, mm-hmm. we just put that reel in the sunset position. And I mean, we figured we were just going to either make him or break him. Yeah. And, you know, even in the sunset position with 30 pound, probably only had 15, 16 pounds of pressure. Oh, you mean you didn't have 30 pounds of pressure you on know? <laughs> You know, so, uh, but, but we, we had some good guys on the boat that knew how to pull. Well, yeah, you're lucky. hard. Yeah, hard. That's lucky. Yeah, and that's what we did. I mean, we, we went toe-to-toe with this fish for, you know, the better part of an hour and 50 minutes. That's just the best ever. Yeah. Did I get... There's a, there's a, there's a thing about getting a fish on your home turf, okay? Like, for me, yeah. for me to get a blue marlin here in Fort Lauderdale is, like, way more thrilling for me. Same with getting a big snook mm-hmm. or a big tarpon mm-hmm. or anything for that mm-hmm. matter, going 10 for 10 on sailfish or whatever. But when you do it in front of your home spot. Well, and it's, and it's more than just that. If you go to the, if you go to the Bahamas, right. nobody's surprised that you catch a blue marlin over there. That's true. Okay. If you go to St. Thomas, nobody's, of course, surprised that you catch a blue marlin. You go to the Keys, okay, you're doing something in the Keys. But when you catch one in South Florida in your backyard where nobody fishes for them anymore because they don't think that they're there. Okay. You're really doing something. And the funny, and you know how I know this? It, it was not, not just because of my own sentiments over it, but because of the way people reacted to catching one here. Mm-hmm. Okay. I got a lot of phone calls from some real guys like John Tedder and Vinny Sachs and some of these other guys that said, Hey man, you know, congratulations. You really did something. You're damn right. You know? And you don't get those phone calls, though, when you go to the Bahamas. You don't get those phone calls when you go to St. Thomas. Right. And, you, you and see think, what I'm saying? And think about how regular charter fishing out here tortures the John Tedders out of the world. Yeah. Where they know that they're going over big blue marlin. And, yeah. And, and don't have a shot at catching them. But because they're doing charter fishing. Right. Or doing a little tournament for this or that. Yeah. You know, and a lot of the guys that are really good, it tortures them that they don't get a shot. And then there's a there's a whole other part that tortures me is why is everybody and I'm gonna say it, they're gonna piss some people off. People are soft, Norm. Yeah, they want they want it all right now. They want to get that instant gratification. And what they don't understand is that catching a blue marlin in South Florida is a process. Catching it's, a blue marlin most places is a process. Well, but but it's but it's a it's usually a multi day process. And you have to be 150% committed to it. And because if you're not, you're, 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 I, I really think that you're hamstringing yourself. If you think you're going to go out there uh, and, and, you know, pull, pull 20 pound gear right. and think that you're going to get one. Right. You know, or put the jelly belly, you know. And, yeah. And, yeah. Not to say that that never happens. So every once in a while, Blue Marlin will come up and just surprise somebody. But that's the norm, norm. Yeah. Though it's not the norm is people deciding that they're going to target them, doing what it takes to target them, and then making it happen. And it only took you six trips. Six trips. To get a nice one to the boat. Yeah. And if you got lucky, you would have had three yeah. in six trips. Yeah, absolutely. And not only that, you know, there are some guys that are committed to it, but you don't hear too much from them. I, I'll give you a perfect example. I rolled into uh, LMR Tackle. And I had to pick up some things. And Andy Novak told me, he says, you know, I've got a client who 
doesn't care about catching anything other than blue marlin. And if he can't go to the Bahamas, he'll pull a spread out here. And he told, he told me that he catches four to five a year. And I don't know who this guy is, but he says he does catch four to five blue marlin a year. And he just, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't self-promote. He doesn't, you know, beat his chest about it, but he goes out there quietly and catches four or five a year. So that tells me that, you know, obviously, yes, there are guys that are committed to it. Uh, and there are not many. Uh, I mean, you look at LNH. How many how many blue marlins do those guys catch a year? A few. A few. A few. They they probably they probably catch you know three or four a year, um, you know. And I mean, if you look at some of these old pictures, like from uh, Stan uh, Stan Staff and uh, from uh, Therapy, mm-hmm. uh, he's got a picture called the Castaways page or something like that. Some 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 tribute page to the old ta- Castaways doc. And you've rifled through that, the the pictures on that page. It's filled with blue marlins that they caught right out front. Right. And those are, you're talking about boats that could only do 12 knots back in the day. Right. Okay. These weren't, these weren't rocket ships, you know, that we see today that can get offshore, you know, 20 miles inside of, you know, 15, 20 minutes. Right. You know, so they, they can be caught here can be i yep. think i That's think sure. i think it's a crazy underrated fishery absolutely all right now the one thing that i will say is it's not like some of the places or most of the places in the bahamas where you're going to get when it's hot you're going to get four or five six shots a day no. or you know get no. three or four a day no. you know or 20 in a week or something yeah. like that yeah okay that's pushing it here yeah but if you want to get one yeah and you want to put in a little bit of work and i want to stress a little bit it's not overwhelming. No. It's a commitment. I think it's a it's process. The most overwhelming thing that people. At Midway USA, we know the AR 15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR 15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Struggle with is the commitment to it. Yeah. Because everything else really isn't that big of a deal. Right. You know what I mean? Right. You can buy the bait. Everybody knows. We just told sure. you how to get one. Sure. I want more people to fish for them. Why? Why do I want more people to fish for them? I don't want more people fishing for snook. I don't want more people fishing for tarpon. I really don't want more any more people fishing for mutton, which we're going to bring up in a second. The mutton thing's oh. out of control. But I want more people to fish for marlin. Yeah. And you know something? It, because it it's... I guess we like... I guess I, you and I grew up with fathers that were dedicated marlin fishermen. And so a lot of that, you know, we come by that honestly. And I guess in a way we kind of relish for people, for more people to be like that, uh, the way that they used to be. And, you know, it's sort of a dying breed and it's unfortunate too. Uh, But I think if we, if we, you know, if we show people that it can be done, maybe more people would be willing to do it. Yeah. Now there was a guy a few years back, we caught a few fish on the Zen dog. I think it was. And he got all hot and heavy and was going to do a South Florida Blue Marlin tournament. Do you remember that? That was Bruce Burnett. How did, what, what happened? Do you know the He details? couldn't get sponsorships. 
That was the long and the short of it. He couldn't get he couldn't he couldn't get anybody to sign on to it. Imagine that in South Florida, which is home to the largest number per capita, the largest number of sport fish boats perhaps in the world. Okay. Nobody wanted anything. Nobody wanted it. in on it. Hmm. Did I, he did I, I think even Jimmy Lewis was in on it with him for a bit. And I, I think they just couldn't get it. I, don't quote me on that, but I, I think Jimmy was in on it too. Uh, and they just couldn't seem to muster the support. I think it had a lot to do with the way they were trying to do it. Instead of there being like a one centralized location, you know, typical tournament, they were doing it kind of like a Met style where it, the, the tournament might take a month or so. And don't quote me on this, but the, the format was very different where they would, um, you know, fish that were caught between, I think it was Palm Beach and Key West would mm-hmm. count in the tournament. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, uh, you know, there would be multiple way stations if, if you happen to take one and that kind of thing. And so I, I think he was trying to bite off a big chunk instead of starting small like the swordfish tournaments did right and uh getting a small cadre of guys to go out there and try over you know say three days yeah i think and do it i think yeah i think i I didn't talk to bruce a bunch about that and always bothers me because i can't get involved i'm doing my fishing trips every night so it's like my communications with people right and i can't commit to tournament you know what I mean? Yeah, and, and I have a hard time doing it myself. But I wanted that I wanted that Blue Marlin tournament yeah. to take off. Oh, but I think you're right. I think I think I think if you're gonna do the Blue Marlin tournament here in South Florida, I think you start with ten slots. And that's it. Mm-hmm. You have ten entries for the first one. Yeah. Okay. Add a, get the ten entries, get a good tournament between the ten guys. Yeah. And if that goes well, maybe next the, year it's twenty the, well, or thirty. And it and it doesn't yeah. necessarily need to be a year later. You know, it could be a month later or whatever that may be. But what I'm saying is if you start with 10 and the tournament happens, mm-hmm. people compete, mm-hmm. there's a winner, somebody yeah. takes home some cash, right. and you're able to tell that story, then the next time might you open up 15 slots, then yeah. 20, and then right. it'll snowball. Or or you or it becomes an end of, or it becomes or the first one is an invitational. Right. Okay. So I mean make give it some prestige. Not even prestige. It's like, okay, we need 10 guys that are commit to fish hard for three right. weeks. You know? Yeah. And that whole thing of doing it like the World Tournament. By the way, isn't the World Tournament today or tomorrow? World Billfish. It started, I think, yesterday. Well, happy, yesterday or the day before. Well, happy World Tournament. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. You know, you, I wish I was in it. You, you could. I could. All you yeah. got to do is take it out and yeah. go get one. Um, well, the guy that I think is in the lead is got a 715 in Bermuda. Imagine that, a 715 <laughs> in Bermuda. I've done that world tournament many days out off the Abacos. Yeah. Never got one on the world tournament. There's some big, big slobs out there. It's, it's one, it's, well, Skip yep. Smith said it on the podcast. There's some big slobs out he there. He says that's one of the places if you're going to go for the big guy, mm-hmm. that's where you go. Yep. And um, yeah, I never did well on the world tournament day. Caught a bunch of small fish on the world tournament day. Yeah. But never was able to call up and even say hey, nah, hey. i want to look at this one yeah not even close well you know let me tell you let me tell you what i i just i going back to the south florida thing i you know there it's it's kind of like one of those guys one of those things where even if you're even if you're out there on your you know your 26 you know your 26 foot mako or whatever you've got and you're out there and your sole mission is to bring home dolphin for dinner 
why not have a 50 standing by with a 200 pound wind on leader and a big circle hook ready to go in case the man shows up so few guys do that they're one teaser and one lure away they're already doing everything else well sort of but i mean they're but they're not they, they haven't stepped up the game you know one once i did that uh once we did that fish you know i had to remind myself you know what we got lucky even with a hundred pound fluorocarbon leader we got lucky Right. And so I went home and I re-rigged everything with 130-pound wind-ons. And, you know, let me tell you something. You know who you know who reminded me of doing all of that was, I, I remember back to Tred Barda, who used to fish out, out of Isla Mirada. Your, your buddy. Yeah, my buddy. Um, but he was, you could say a lot of things about him, but he was a hell of a fisherman. And the one thing, and the one thing about him uh, and that he, he always told me is that, you never know when the man's going to show up. There's no fences out here. And, you know, you can go and you can always go and catch dolphin and tunas on the same thing that you're pulling for blue marlin. We do it all the time, everywhere you go. Dude. So why not, why not be ready for him when he show up? Exactly. And he was never rigging for dolphin when he went offshore. He was either sword fishing or he was, blue, or he was marlin fishing. Tread was old school. Everything yeah. else was bycatch. Yeah, everything else was bycatch. If he was, yep, he was into that big eye fishing. Anything else that he caught, yep, was bycatch. bycatch. He'd come out here, he billfish. Everything else was bycatch. Right. Yep. And that was the philosophy of the mm-hmm. world of blue water fishing in the uh, old absolutely. days. Absolutely. And yeah. it wasn't even until it was just just that recent. You know, it was recently the seventies, early eighties. That was about. You know, that's how guys rolled. Here's the thing. Okay, bycatch is now normal. Mm-hmm. Sandbarring now is priority, yeah. and bar hopping is now a thing. Yeah, in ninety nine point nine percent of all doofuses out there that have the equipment to go out there and actually get a blue marlin and are don't. doing that. Yeah, it's sick. Yeah, it's, no, it, it's, it's sick. It, it bothers me. It sickens me. Yeah, I know. It sickens. I know. Me. It's crazy. You would think, and they're posting up buckets of, you know, little mice that we would rig. Little mahis. As if they did something. Little mahis are like trophies for them. Yeah. On a normal day, they're out there like spearing lionfish and stuff. Yeah. Like, I mean, <laughs> and that's what I mean by soft. I just mean, But they want the... You know you know where that started? I'll tell you where that started. That started with SKA. Okay? Guys that would go out there and, uh, and, and, and fish for kingfish in tournaments. Dude, I, I thought that was ah, the stupidest thing I ever heard when I first came out. You know, <laughs> I'm not kidding. When that first came out, I was like, man, this is the stupidest thing I ever heard. And then I looked at the format and I was like, well, it's kind of like bass fishing tor- tournament style. I guess they could do it. It's the fun fish division has taken over the world of sport fishing now. Now everybody wants to go f- catch fun fish, do you quote know, unquote, do you know instead Bo- of blue marlin. Do you know Bo- Bob Flocken? <laughs> no. You don't know Bob Flocken? No. Bob Flocken. Flocken? Flocken. Flocken A. Flocken A. It was flocking a great dude. Yeah. All right. So Bob had a tackle store on uh, Cypress right by 95. I know that store. That was the guy? Right. That, that store's not there any, anymore. Oh, it's been gone for years. Yeah. So anyway, flocking was a really nice dude. I remember that store. Okay. And um, my first fly rod that uh, my dad ordered for me went mm-hmm. to that store. Mm-hmm. And I went and picked it up, and I met Bob, and he was a super nice dude, and we got to be friends, and then we'd always see him at the boat shows, and he was just a really good dude. Yeah. 
Well, he left um, Fort Lauderdale. Mm-hmm. And where does he pop up? As the commander-in-chief and the guy that does the microphone for SKA. Oh, God. Right. And he's one of the dudes that built that thing. Hey, it's a big it business. Dude, it was a good idea. Yeah. It obviously worked. They knew where the market was heading. They knew where the market was heading. And not only that, it, it produced an entire segment of boat building opera, uh, opportunities. You know, because they figured it out that sometimes if you're going out of Fort Lauderdale, you might have to run to Jupiter to find the bite. Dude, that sickens me. Yeah, no, I mean, come on. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Anyway, Bob Flocken. Yeah, Bob Flocken. Yeah. Do some research. Anybody that doesn't know about Bob Flocken, maybe. That was I'll, a nice that I was sh- a nice store. I should do a uh, I, I should just call him up and get him on the podcast. Bob Flocken knew a lot of shit and he was around when I say uh well my dad used to say this. Mm-hmm. But it was the best time to be in sport fishing between say nineteen eighty in 19, say, 94, right yeah. in there. That 14, yeah, 15 yeah. years, everybody was helping each other. The tournament scene was strong. Oh, the tournaments were great. The gossip column was thick. Yeah. People talked about it. People dreamt about yeah. it. People spent millions of dollars yeah. doing it. I was fortunate enough. You were fortunate enough yeah. to tag on sure. everybody's shirt tails, go all you over betcha. the world, learn these places, and they did it together as a community. Yeah. Whether you liked each other or not, that was a whole nother thing. But you did it together. Yeah. And that was the community of people that did it. And there were some great marlin fishermen back then, too. And those are the guys that are now considered the goats today. You know, guys like Skip Smith and Eddie Herbert and Peter Wright and a lot of these other guys, Alan Starr and Alex Adler and all these other guys. You know, and I I was just, I felt like just, just being able to come up with those guys was just, you know, it was it was huge, it was and there huge. was a, there's a lot of guys that are still around. You know, we're getting a little bit older, but we remember that. And I just, like I said, I mean, it's just it's it, you know, I I set out to prove something that that it could be done if you try, and uh, now I have uh, now I have a new goal in mind, and that is is that I'm going to prove that it wasn't a fluke, and I'm going to do it again. It wasn't a fluke. No. You called it ahead of time. Yeah. You strategized for it. Mm-hmm. You damn near babe roofed it. Yeah. Norm, we could have caught one the first day we tried. Absolutely. We missed the. We, we didn't get the bite. No. Nope. We saw the fish. We saw him. But we could have got one the first yep. day. And that's marlin fishing. And then, you know, when I'm talking about not getting four or five in a day. Yeah. Well, who knows? If there was 40 boats doing it, maybe somebody would. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Or if there was 40 boats doing it for three days. Maybe one or two of the boats would, because right. we'll be out there in the best fishing holes in the Caribbean. Forty boats will fish. Not everybody's getting three no. or four a day. No. In fact, it's funny that you said that because I I still maintain, I still maintain that a lot of the reason why a blue marlin comes to a boat is not because of what's behind it, but because of the boat itself at first. So I think there's something about that and. You know, we've proven it time and time again on the North Drop, where certain boats are just fishier than others. That's okay, true. and I, it's maybe it's a combination of of speed and props, and you know, Skipper Gentry can talk to you ad nauseum about that, and we've talked to him about that. You mm-hmm. know, and he and he and he's a he's a he's a big believer in that. Well, you know, talking about boats and, and blue marlin mm-hmm. stuff, my uh, good friend of mine, Kenny. Bought a GNS, 
it's I want to say it's fifty. Fifty foot. I could be wrong, mm-hmm. but anyway, it's got a rounded. It's got a rounded um, stern. Stern. Mm-hmm. That boat's been all over the world catching fish. Yeah. It's now named the Cutnail. Oh yeah. Okay. And they are out in the Bahamas right now doing it. Yeah. And they got a few fish this week and so on and so forth. But he went out specifically, got that particular boat because he knew it was a fish catching boat. Mm-hmm. He liked that GNS. There was something that yeah. brought him to it. It's a hell of a fishing boat. Yeah. It's only going to go up in value because they're not building them anymore. Right. He's the right owner for it because he's doing the right thing with it. He can afford the fucking thing. Yeah. And he's a young dude and he's out there and he's today, Fourth of July weekend, fishing the world tournament. That's awesome. And he's out there in the Southern Bahamas. Yeah. And it makes me feel good. Yeah. You know and it mean? should. Yeah. I mean, there's still, there's still, listen, there's still a lot of people that are committed to it, but they're just not, they're, they're more committed to going away from South Florida to do it. And I get it. The numbers in the Bahamas, the numbers in Bermuda, the numbers in, in, in the Caribbean and the Azores and other places, they're just much greater than they are here. However, having said that, you know, you get guys like me that I've got, you know, I've got a 20 knot boat. I'm not going to the Bahamas, right? you know, but I still want to catch blue Marlin. All right. I'm going to try and catch one here. Yeah. Norm, you got a fishy boat. It's a little fishy. Well, you know what, though? I kind of had a little bit of an ace because, let's face it, um, you know, I just, we just put uh, new varnish on the tow rail. Dude. Do you think there's any kind of a coincidence that we varnish the tow rail and catch a blue marlin in the same week? No. There you go. That's not coincidence. That's preparation. Yeah. Dude, when, when, when tournament time, <laughs> when, no, when, think of the old days. And Bahama Billfish tournament time would come around, and these guys would get ready to do their ten or twelve tournaments, right? Yeah. Did any of them show up with the with their boat with their tow rail unpolished? No. Did any of them show up with the old flaky shitty no, tow rail? No, no, no. no. Maybe it was flaky and shitty during sailfish season. Yeah. Maybe it was flaky and shitty during the winter. No. But, but you gotta have your shit right when you go to the Bahamas. And when it's time to billfish, yeah. the tow rail yeah. has to be it's in. It's got to be on point. Right. Along, <laughs> along with other things. Everything. Everything. Right. That's the point, okay? You can't just take your shit off the rack, throw it on the boat, and go. It takes preparation, okay? And when preparation meets opportunity, that's when you can score. And it's not going to happen every day. You might go out there and, you know, thank God I had the right clients. These guys were from northeastern Indiana or someplace like that. and But these guys had been around and they'd fished. And they knew that I didn't tell them we were Bloom Island fishing because they wanted to catch Big Molly. But, you know, I but they were I knew they were the right guys that could go out there and 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 not, you know, in the first two hours of not catching anything, ask to go, you know, catch bottom fish. I knew these were the right guys for it. Okay, And the next day we went out there. We didn't go bloom. We didn't we didn't go offshore. Uh, the next day because the mutton snapper fishing was red hot on fire and that's what we did the next day all right you brought up the mutton snapper thing i went out mutton snapper fishing the other day with drew whack them no 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 they whacked them right after we left of course Mm -hmm. um they whacked them the day before Mm -hmm. they whacked them that day but it was in the towards the evening long story short it looked like a small city out there ah I could not believe the number of people that were fishing that mutton snapper spawn. Let me tell you something. There are so many that the secret, 
If you think you have secret spots in Broward, you don't. Not anymore. Secret? Dude, it was like a parking lot out there. Yep. Guys were anchored up 50 feet from one another. There had to have been 30 boats. They're speaking to one another. Yeah. Yelling and shit. Yeah. Like it's normal. Yeah. It was grossing me out. Yeah. You know what it reminded me of? No. It reminded me of uh, striper guys up north. Oh, shit. It that's, reminded me. It's, it's exactly like striper and tuna guys up north. Where they get up on one another? Right, right next to each other and just pound the piss out of one 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 wreck or one spot yeah i don't know it kind of exactly that's exactly what it reminded me of it kind of grossed me out and then like it was kind of similar to it was more like pure fishing than refishing because <laughs> well, you look over and you're like oh did he get one oh, yeah. no, he's got one. Oh, that's a shark yeah. <laughs> dude it was like being on the pier yeah it wasn't like being on the reef yeah it was it was, it was full contact fishing <laughs> that's for sure and you know the the day that we fished you know we we um we went down to a spot that was south of that spot that you guys were on, that everybody's been pounding on. And, you know, they weren't biting as good. Well, I shouldn't say that. They were biting, but they there weren't as many big fish as there were on that one spot. Uh, but we did catch some nice fish. We caught some really nice keepers. And uh, we probably got there a little bit late on the tide, which is another thing that a lot of people don't get. But when the tide and the current uh, isn't right, they won't chew quite as well but when it's right and they hit it right man it's just it's on like donkey kong and that and it's still good right now well i my buddy ryan raspberry was out there fishing yeah i i texted him i said dude this is beneath me i gotta leave <laughs> and <clears throat> since i've already pissed off most, boca grand out there right since i've already pissed off most people i'm as well piss off the mutton snapper <laughs> fishermen too <laughs> Let me tell you guys something. Mutton snapper is also bycatch. Okay? On your way in from Blue Marlin fishing all day. You drop. And you didn't catch a whole hell of a lot. Or you get a mahi or something. Yeah. You stop and you get a mutton snapper. Yeah. For something to eat. That's true. That that is true. true. Now there's a fleet. Of guys that are just going out there only to do that. Of mutton snapper. And And Instagram fucking proud, are they? I did it. I had to do it. Because it was the only game in town, unfortunately. But... Dude, guys, yeah. are, guys, people, you thought jack sporting was a thing? Well, mutton sporting is a thing. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm sitting there. I'm fishing the inlet. Fucking, these guys are coming home from friggin' fishing. They're all yelling, run that dog. And they are holding their snappers up in their air like they're, they're fucking. They're sporting a piss like, out of their muttons. Like Rocky Balboa. <laughs> and they're going by at 20 miles an hour as I'm tarping fishing with my clients. Run that dog. And they're holding up their snappers. They wouldn't do that in the Bahamas. <laughs> Two. <laughs> It's like the happy Gilmore of snapper fishing is the mutton guys. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, we're going to catch shit for oh, this. Oh, my good buddies. I got Drew, Inigo. You got, you all, Drew's coming in for a podcast finally. Nice. Anyway, all the guys, like all my dogs, are sporting the piss out of their muttons. Well, not for nothing. You got to remember something. <laughs> the mutton snapper fishing in, in, in Fort Lauderdale has been a closely guarded thing. And now it's like all of a sudden, you know, it, it's we're seeing mutton snappers. We're seeing, I mean, key style, Bahamian style mutton snapper fishing right here in Broward County. And we haven't seen that in a very long time. And, you know, it's kind of always sort of been a, like a secret society of bottom fishermen that uh, have. Yeah. And they've tried to run. They, they weren't always like this until just this year. And, you know, they always tried to kind of run under the radar. There was a couple of Facebook, 
you know, groups on them, and it was always the same guys. But I mean, it, you know, it, it the fishing blew that all out of the water. And of course, everybody wants to run to Facebook to show everybody what they caught. And then the next thing you know, there's 30 freaking boats on one spot. Right. Right. And that's exactly what happened. Right. Speaking of the bottom fishing and the mutton fishing, hmm. the, the, probably the, one of the most real guys in town hmm. that does that. Yeah. Now we had an ego on the podcast before he was the guy that was the commissioner for the highlight. Yeah. 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 Phenomenal bottom fishing. Is he? But the kid that owns, um, Angler's Bait and Tackle. Bobby. Richard. Oh, yeah, yeah. Dude. Yeah. That guy will catch a bottom fish on his own boat. He'll do it on drift boats. He'll do it on long-range boats. Oh, this guy's a dude. He does it 12 months out of the year, and he's totally into it, and he's phenomenal. You know who's like that? Richard Alphonse. Yeah, you know who's like that is Vinny Sachs. Vinny Sachs. Vinny Sachs can find a mutton snapper in his bathtub. Right. Okay, he's the fishiest dude I know. And and the only reason I say he's the fishiest dude I know is because that guy and he's, he runs a he runs a charter boat called Why Be Normal. And uh let me just tell you something. This guy's the fishiest dude because he just there's some guys that just seem to have it and Vinny's one of those guys. Yeah. And whether it's, you know, whether it's bottom fishing or it's trolling, or it's live bait fishing, or it's jigging, or it's you know fishing offshore for swordfish and the, whatever else is out there. It just seems like you know he's he's only he's always tuned into whatever it is that's going on. Always. That's cool. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. I mean, I mean, if you're into it and you you're doing it 12 months out of the year, like I'm doing tarpon 12 months out of the year, that's your thing. Yeah, but it's more than that. He's got a passion for it. Right. Now, that's his yeah. thing. He's yeah. really into it. Yeah. And uh, Drew Vason's getting that way. Like, yeah. He's really into it. My buddy Mike Farron's getting that way. Mm-hmm. Now, I want to see more guys do the Blue Marlin thing like that. Yeah. With a little uh, bit of intensity. I, I Hey, listen. You know, I and you know, the funny thing is, is uh, the guy who was uh, running as my mate that day, he went over and fished on uh, his regular boat, which is two doors down from me. And when they went out there, they went roaring offshore uh, to try and catch some my mice. But he had a big he had a big marlin lure in the spread. Well, and of course, since you posted that, yeah. I've had a couple three people reach out to me saying that they saw them and that hey, you know, I think they're out there. And I'm like, yeah, well, no shit, Norm yeah, just of banged one, and we told you they were going to be out there, yeah. and now they're out there, and you got one, and that's a big deal. Made my week. I got to tell you that. Yeah, made my year. Yeah, it should. <laughs> yeah, it should. It should. You know. You know. And that 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 old school feeling of getting one in your home turf. My father never caught one here. We always caught. We always. If we were going to go marlin fishing, we went to Bimini. Yeah, we pulled some spreads here and there, mostly during tournaments. But if we wanted to catch a blue marlin, it was Bimini. Yeah. Bimini or cat or you know walkers, chub. My dad used to get them between Palm Beach and Key West. Like, not a big deal. Well, Palm Beach, Palm Beach, and Key West have their own fisheries for them. Dude, they were great tournaments. Mm-hmm. The Drambuie, yep. they still kind of kind they of still do, do that. Yep. But Key West had some great tournaments. Miami had great tournaments, yep. and Palm Beach had great tournaments. Yep. Fort Lauderdale had some good tournaments yep. in the old days. My dad was in all them. And then he discovered. Venezuela. Yeah. And then got well, the that's house just in the it. Abacos, guys, and then... guys are prepping and they're going over to the Bahamas or they're going elsewhere. 
And it's kind of like we've become a forgotten fishery. It has become a forgotten fishery. Yeah. But not anymore. Not this week. We've got a few thousand people to listen to the freaking podcast yeah, that yeah. now know how we feel about it, yep. how to target them, exactly what to do. If you have any questions, email me or email Norm. Yeah. Let us know that you're trying to target them. We're more than happy to help. <clears throat> there's no spot stealing involved. No. You know what I mean? No, there's no spot stealing. I mean, I think there's places, I think, you know, having said that, it's, it's not a blind effort. I mean, there's places where... You know, I, there's there's some people that are absolutely convinced that they live in certain places for a reason. You know, I happen to think, and I'm happy to divulge them. I'll tell you right here on the podcast. I think the Hollywood Hills. I think that's where. I th I think for some reason that that place there probably because of the canyons and everything else like that and the bottom features. There's a reason why they're there. There's some people that swear up and down uh, 600 feet off the steeple. It, yeah. Yep. That's another one. There's people that swear up and down off Palm Beach. Yep. Okay. Uh, so, I mean, there's, there's, there's a reason why people catch fish there. And so, you know, again, it's... it's uh, Do you want to know my theory on the Hollywood Hills? Mm. All right. Everybody knows how the Gulf Stream comes in. Okay. You got one that comes, in, comes around the Key West from the Gulf. Yeah. And you got the other side that comes down Bahama Straits and mm -hmm. the side of Cuba. Right. They come slamming in basically to key largo right right yeah as that current slams into key largo then it kind of bounces off florida and then bounces out there to the hollywood hills area yeah so there's some structure and there's a there's a direct current that almost never leaves there so, yeah so it's one of the few places in the gulf stream where you can say if i go here the stream's going to do this. Right. Where every place else in the stream, and it may move two or three miles at any given point for whatever reason. It's a very consistent area for the stream to come through, and it's always replenishing. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that might have something to do with why, you know, that area is so good for the for the bottom fishing, too. I'm sure. Um, it's probably got a lot to do with it. Yeah, and I know down there off Fowey, there's a, the guys do the same thing there, and they have mm -hmm. their spots, and for not only... Uh, marlin in deep yeah, water sure. but also for wahoos yep and there's some spots down there where i know the current does the exact same thing but anyway great podcast norm congratulations on the, on the blue marlin in fort you. lauderdale um skip smith is gonna love it yeah we, we were just talking about it with yeah. him and his other i want to apologize to the audience for not getting out a uh, a podcast in june oh i was june was a crazy month dude i did more trips this june than i can remember doing in any any June, yeah. the tarpon season felt like it never ended. Um, I had a backlog of recordings that got me through right. March, April, and May. Yeah, and then I just couldn't quite do it. So anyway, I apologize for not getting out of podcasting. It's the first time in four years that uh, we didn't get a podcast out in uh, in a month. But anyway, we got it. And uh, and and listen, if you want to go out there and try and catch a blue marlin, I've got plenty of days open right now my july is very slow so uh hit me up at uh um, finest, kind. finest kind sport fishing on facebook got a great boat for, pull a great spread this is the time for it the weather's right for it yep and it sure is and don't be afraid of the rain guys no got more fish in the rain in the last couple months i'm actually enjoying this whole el nino thing yeah it's keeping me from not getting fried like a baked potato yeah but it's still Hotter than a snake's ass. Hotter than a snake's ass. Norm, love you, dog. Congratulations. Thanks, man. Real guy, thanks. Appreciate it. 
real guys doing real guy things. Yeah, man. Run that dog. country rules were not created by man don't miss wild country wednesdays from 7 to 11 p.m eastern presented by primos speak the language waypoint tv the destination for outdoor entertainment